This is Sam Walden, transmitting on a frequency 90.43 kilohertz daily. If anyone's still listening to these broadcasts, Dr. Harry Walden, my father, mentor, and best friend, has died. On October 13th of last year, I buried him next to my mother. Welcome to part two of our I.O. episode. But before we go into real talk, it's time for PP, our patron pitch. This is where we let our beloved patrons know what they can expect on their exclusive patron feed. And we also let non-patrons know what they're missing out on. Uh, We're closing down November here. The main thing, and something that every single patron is going to have access to, is our uh, patron-exclusive bonus episode on the movie Black Bear. Another another pick from Dan Brennick. And at this point, after covering IO, I, I don't know how I feel about this, Alex. Uh, we're going to Black Bear, Baccarol Blind. Uh, all we know is that uh, it stars April Ludgate from Parks and Rec. This could go either way. That, yeah, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. It's a very cautious we'll see from the contrarians. But... Uh, that episode should already be up on your patron feed, so enjoy. Also, hopefully, on your patron feed by now, uh, Nerdroverts, Jason Nerdroverts, QVR picks, which are Thanksgiving-themed, very appropriate for the month of November. Uh, he assigned planes, trains, and automobiles to me, and he gave Alex the movie The Humans. One of those movies is a lot more popular than the other, so... Have fun with that, Alex. Uh, hopefully <laughs> yours is, is a classic in the making. In addition to, of course, uh, the stuff that you already know, that you get every month, the uh, uh, pre-recording notes and the cutting room floor stuff, we have Contrarians After Hours. That's the spin-off show where we tell you about other things that we've been watching or listening to or playing or reading or thinking about. Uh, Alex, what are you bringing to Contrarians After Hours this time? Peacock recently dropped a a two-part documentary uh, called I Love You, You Hate Me about the rise in popularity of Barney, the purple dinosaur, but then also just the absolute just vicious backlash that it was met with by, uh, you know, some parents and the younger MTV generation. And it's a, you know, it's an interesting little history of Barney, but it also speaks more to like negative culture and the advent of like the internet and how that's kind of changed the way people talk about things. And it's, uh, it's also made with a sense of humor. So there's some really good, like deadpan comedy in there as well. But like the, you know, it's not just exclusive to like the people who worked on Barney, like, you know, Al Roker's interviewed in it. The guy who played Steve on Blue's Clues, uh, mm. Bill Nye. It's uh, It's got a lot of television personality from that point in time. Um, you know, it kind of it comes back to it's not unlike our Roxena mega series in the sense of like it goes off on these side streets and these stories that it tells, but it always comes back to it. Um, I remember watching the trailer and being pretty interested with it, and it d- definitely didn't disappoint. Uh, I ended up giving it four stars on my letterbox review, so I'll just oh, nice. dive a little bit, yeah, dive a bit deeper into that, and um, you know, the good, the the bad, the questionable, what have you. But it's a good time, so be sure you check out uh, After Hours for my discussion on Barney the Purple Dinosaur and uh, the people who hated him so dearly. Julio, what are you bringing to the After Hours party? 
two completely different movies, like on both ends of the, the I guess, blockbuster slash pretentious spectrum. <laughs> So on the on the blockbuster side, uh, Alex, did you ever play Uncharted? The Uncharted games. Mm-hmm. You have okay. Have you seen the movie with uh, that uh, just came out? Isn't it Mark Wahlberg and Spider Man? Yes. Yeah, it's on Netflix now. Uh, I didn't go see it in theaters. I have no attachment to the franchise. I've never played the games. Have I played them now that I've seen the movie? Because it was a it was a, a fun time at the movies, even though I watched it at home. It was it's just a, you know it's your typical blockbuster and just mm-hmm. Spider Man and Mark Wahlberg having adventures, hunting for treasure. Tony Banderas is the bad guy. I had a good time. I'll tell you all about it and uh, and I'll ask you some questions because maybe you'll be able to tell me what is related to the game and what is stuff that they just made up for the movie. But that's on the mainstream side. And then I also watch an A24 movie, you know, that's, uh, that can always go very different directions. Did you ever hear about Zola based on the viral Twitter thread? I have no idea what you're talking about. Oh, dude. I mean, I'm not gonna... I'll tell you about the movie on After Hours, but I'll I'll give you the pitch here. So there was a Twitter thread of, I think, 148 tweets, and it was just supposedly this woman telling a story over the course of, like, 148 tweets. And it went viral. And, of course, they had to make a movie about it. It's such Mm a... That's such a, you know, 2020s (laughs) state of the world kind of thing to happen like yeah it, i'm it annoyed ma- it made the news i was annoyed as well but i also felt like it was my my duty to watch the movie because the movie came out and it got like you know it's an a24 release so it got some buzz and people were like oh this is you know this is something that you should be watching if you're a cinephile so i did alex and i'm not gonna tell you what i thought not yet i'll tell you in after hours but uh it's definitely a very different movie from uncharted so I think I did my, I I made an effort to have a balanced uh, film diet on, on this after hours. So Uncharted, Zola, the, the Twitter threat movie, and uh, I love you, you hate me. Mm-hmm. Do they interview Ed Norton in that documentary? No, what was they don't even bring that up. What's it called? Death to Smoochie. Death to Smoochie. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, that's on the that's on your after hours for uh, this installment, along with everything else that we talked about and all the things that are there from previous months. The the Roxena miniseries, the Summer Break uh, trilogy, all the other cool stuff. There's a, a Halloween ends discussion that that still feels very relevant as we record this. If any of that sounds interesting, just uh, go to patreon.com slash Prime. Check our tiers. Join the Contrarian Supplements. Uh, join the fun. $1, $3, $5, $10, our respective tiers. Head on over to the page. Check it out. Drop a, a dollar in, four quarters in. See what might be there that tickles your fancy. Uh, if there's something you like a lot, want more of, let us know. If there's something you think uh, we'd be better suited uh, not spending as much time and resource on, let us know too. Uh, we can reach out to us on Twitter or also at our email, wearethecontrarians at gmail.com. You can find us there. Uh, to all of our existing patrons, thank you so much. We love you dearly. And as I like to say, we are taking applications. Always. Always and forever. Because we end up doing big piles of shit like this for our <laughs> adoring patrons. I'm Dr. Walden's research assistant. 
I'm sure I can answer any of your questions. I'm here to see Dr. Walden. Not you. Not anybody else. <laughs> Look, we started year nine kind of on the strong side, right? We did Warrior. We did Grease 2. It was, it was time for a stinker. <laughs> okay. I assume, Dan, this is so bad I have to make you guys watch it type thing. Um, yes. So the, first of all, uh, he has some sort of beef with Margaret Qualley and he was like, I just, I just want you guys to, to know how bad Margaret Qualley is. And my response to that is like, look, even if I don't like what she does here and I, I, I'm not going to tell you if I do or not, not yet, but she was still great in the leftovers. So (laughs) that doesn't change my mind. You and that fucking show, man. She's, she's really good. I mean, that's, uh. Forget about the show itself. Like her performance in the show is really good. A second, Dan was joking around on this group chat that we have on Twitter. Uh, he was saying that you know he likes to alternate between giving us movies he likes and uh, shitty movies. So mm-hmm. I guess we it was time for a shitty one uh, in the month of November. And third, well, here's actually we'll save Dan's actual review for the end of the quotes because uh, there's a there's a few other. Uh, quotes I would like to throw your way before we get there. All right, so let's start. These are fresh quotes. Uh, we're going to start with Shula Ruan Leg from Screen Anarchy, who says, IO is that rare science fiction film that asks us to look beyond aliens, spaceships, and technology, to ask what of the future for humans as individuals and community, and how we connect and how we live beyond mere survival. That is some pretty lofty goals for any movie, including IO. To just be that all-encompassing <laughs> about the questions yeah. it asks. Yeah, brother, a movie dropping on Netflix in January, I don't think it's going to tackle all that. <laughs> Alan Adams from The Main Edge says, While it's a bit lacking in terms of earned emotional impact, soul, if you will, it's certainly a better-than-decent way to kill 90 minutes or so. 90 minutes or less, Alex. That's that's your thing. Um, I could find you many... 90 minute movies that uh, I would put above this to kill time. Well, let's close with Brad Newsom from Sydney Morning Herald, who says it's still watchable enough thanks to an unsettlingly ambiguous performance by Margaret Qualley and a spot of clanging contemporary relevance. Unsettlingly ambiguous. Was that the phrase that was used? That was it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. That's a new one. Margaret Qualley read this and was like, uh, thanks, I guess. <laughs> that's kind of like. A double, like, isn't ambiguity typically unsettling? I mean, I guess. <laughs> I've been un- unsettled ever since I watched The Dark Knight Rises because I still don't know what happened at the ending. There you go. That's the, you're right. <laughs> the real closer here is Mr. Dan Brennick from Netflix and Swill, who yep. says, uh, the f- first, the tagline to his review is, an unmitigated disaster on all fronts, this movie should be avoided <laughs> like an earth with a dying atmosphere. Um <laughs> fucking asshole his first thought was to make us watch it then <laughs> so i'm not gonna read the so what he pays the review. big bucks for yeah. yeah 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 i mean this is this is you know he's a paying customer so he's always did right he type it up did he type uh, it up yeah yeah this is like a this is like a, a blog entry on his website uh, oh okay we can first came link out to link to it from our twitter or patron page Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm going to read the beginning and the end of it. Uh, okay. So <laughs> the beginning is, Often I wonder why I watch something when after viewing the trailer, I say out loud, boy, this looks bad. 
Then I remember that I have an issue with being a completionist. For whatever reason, I want to watch as many Netflix original movies as possible, probably because the time investment is very minimal as compared to series, which can take anywhere from 2 to 13 hours of my time. I knew I was getting into lousy territory before I even sat down to watch Io, the latest movie about Earth dying, but I didn't realize how bad it really would be. Then he recounts the plot. And then he says, uh, I don't want to dig more into the plot despite my hatred for this movie because I like to keep these written reviews as spoiler-free as possible. That said, the plot is number one culprit in this movie. The film will try to portray a very standard three-act structure, but if you pull off its mask Fred Jones style, you'll find that it was all band two-act structure all along, where the first act takes over an hour for no reason at all. We know that they must go to the final shuttle launch. Why in the world are they still at the residence talking? So, because of the lazy narrative, this must become a performance piece. Unfortunately for you, the viewer, it can't do that because Margaret Qualley cannot handle that kind of role. I initially saw her in the Death Note Netflix adaptation and felt she was a block of wood there. In this, she at least can express emotion, but does it in totally unbelievable ways. Anthony Mackie is just as guilty, being that he just stands there expressionless for the entire run length. Danny Houston is in the movie for all of five minutes, probably because he saw the script he signed on for and realized that his planet needed him. The only other character in the movie is Elon, voiced by Tom Payne, who is Sam's love interest. Elon is never seen in the film and is only heard through monotone reads of correspondences sent between him and Sam. If I haven't made it abundantly clear yet, don't watch this movie under any circumstances. Tell your wife that most anything else on Netflix is better than this. Ignore the banner ads that are currently in place. Hard avoid this movie. The only thing you'll want after watching is your time back or to breathe some toxic earth air to relieve the pain. One star. I also gave this movie one star on my letterbox review. The bigger question, perhaps the biggest question, I think, here is, do you agree with his assessment of the performances? He seemed like more impassioned in what he was saying about this movie than I would about anything. This is a movie that I talk about a lot. And when I go back and, you know, read over when we do our awards next year, I will read the name of this movie and go, oh, yeah. And I will remember nothing about it. (laughs) (laughs) And as I've said repeatedly, even like Drop Dead Fred, which we hated, that's like a level of bad where I will remember things about it. I will remember that scene where I felt embarrassed for. Um, Carrie Fisher. <laughs> Carrie Fisher. Thank you. And the end where Phoebe Cates like wipes a booger on. Uh, the, <laughs> is Jesus. it? Uh, I forgot about that. <laughs> is it Tim Matheson? Yep. yep. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But there's movies we do, and this will be one of them where I just don't remember shit from it because it's just so unremarkable and just so just nothing. And it sounds to me that he's a bit more impassioned in his dislike of it than I would be. Uh, I think I don't know if I've ever seen anything with Danny Houston where I was like, man, what a great actor. He's you know, he's just he's a, he's Danny Houston. He's striker. <laughs> His memories won't grow back. Uh, and then the gal here, I this is the first obviously leading role I've ever seen her in. And Anthony Mackie's awesome, but I'm not for a second going to act like everything he's done is fucking great. So it's um you know his points are valid to him to me this is just absolutely nothing there's nothing here there's like nothing to really get overly this sucks about but there's certainly not anything approaching like good the closest to good is when anthony mackie reacts to the vegetables (laughs) it's the most uh relatable the most genuine moment of, of acting yeah 
Yeah, that's the most relatable part in the whole movie. I mean, it's it, it, <laughs> it's it makes sense. Kim Coates and Waterworld paper, paper. <laughs> uh, it makes sense because it's uh, you know, it's kind of like an out there idea. I mean, it, not so out there, obviously, because it, it's a post-apocalyptic world, and we are. We are so familiar with those, you know, through fiction that in a way we we already have an idea of how characters behave in those in those scenarios. I mean, in this kind of falls within those patterns. I don't know. I mean, I I didn't. I don't think anybody here, anybody like it's really Margaret Qualley and Anthony Mackie. Like, I don't think they ever get a moment where they would be able to really flex their muscles and show acting you know like i think what they do is perfectly adequate for for what is required in the story like the story i think asks very little of them as actors i think the closest might be anthony mackie's oscar moment right when he's talking about what happened to his wife but it's so uh inconsequential i think in the big scheme of things that it doesn't really register it's like you're you're thinking man that's fucked up and then the movie moves on and it just it's almost like you imagined it because it doesn't really come up later i i don't know that i would put up this movie as an example of oh this is why margaret qualley or anthony mackie shouldn't lead movies <laughs> you know there's this art exhibit i really wanted to see an art exhibit The Museum of Art. It's one of the last exhibits from before. Yeah, yeah. What movies are on Netflix that are Netflix originals that are like great movies? And I'm asking that genuinely. I'm sure I've seen one, and I'm sure Dan is like just listing them off right now. <laughs> yes. But, <laughs> uh, but. I, I feel like there's got to be a little bit of like, I mean it genuinely. When someone tells me it's a Netflix original, I immediately lower my expectations. So to act like, yeah, either this is on them or an indictment of their capabilities, I find a bit um, uh, silly. Yeah. I mean, I, I think uh, I think if they hadn't done anything else, I don't know that they would be getting more work thanks to this movie. <laughs> But when they both have stronger entries in their filmographies, then it's just like, oh, this is just something they did. And, you know, whatever. I, I really like the idea of Netflix as this sort of low-budget, mid-budget farm for you know, emergent filmmakers. And where they just kind of, you know, isn't that what um, uh, Roger Corman used to do, right? <laughs> you know, he would have like these yeah. like really yeah. low budget productions and that's where filmmakers kind of learn the craft and they just exactly. learn by doing and and you know you watch those movies and you're like well you go into those with really low expectations you might have a good time you might have a bad time but ideally some of the people that work on those things went on to do bigger and better things and uh and sometimes you got like an actual good movie out of them like uh, the original little shop of horrors so mm -hmm. i like the idea of having Netflix as this sort of new iteration of that, where you can go and, you know, some people go with their, you know, low budget sci-fi idea. And it's like, yeah, big studios are not going to finance this uh, no. for a theatrical release because it's not like, uh, it's not based on a known IP, you know, and it's not Christopher Nolan bringing it to you. So sure, let's do it and let's, let's make it on Netflix and, uh, 
some people will see it and you know the next one will be better <laughs> uh, just keep trying yeah just keep doing it i mean i think that this this movie uh yeah this is what you point to when you're going like yeah you know it's like a bad netflix movie uh you're right there's some that are better than this and there's some that are actually good but there is a lot of this there yeah but those are movies that are not getting made anywhere else you know it's like the i I think that once upon a time you could count on mid-budget sci-fi to make its way to theaters every now and then that's not gonna happen now so no so now it makes its way to netflix (laughs) and uh yeah i mean those things are never they're not they're very rarely going to be like big uh hits you know major successes uh i think this like many of those irishman probably is the top one yeah but those are like the marquee filmmakers coming to netflix to do Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah, no, no, I'm talking about like unknown filmmakers or emerging filmmakers that come and like do do a Netflix movie because that's you know the best distribution deal they could get. Sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. But I think that this, like most of the the Netflix originals that I've seen that have to do with sci-fi or horror or whatever, I think that this would benefit from being even shorter. You know, like this would be a good Twilight Zone episode. You know, mm. you just knock it out in 40 minutes, tops. You know, you do the setup, then Anthony Mackie shows up, and then he's like, I'm going to take you out of here. And then she's like, okay, but no, I'm going to take my helmet off. And then it turns out that she can breathe. The end. That's it. You don't need to stretch that out over 90 minutes. So uh, fucking dumb with the kid at the end, too. Yeah. <laughs> what does that add? The fact that she got a kid at the end. It doesn't Nothing. add anything. You know, you already made like, your point. That shit pisses me off now, like how obsessed the modern film climate is, no matter if it's a comedy, a simple sci-fi like this or whatever, but the insistence on uh, infusing realistic aspects of life. And this is how things really are. It's so when you do that and you try to make a movie that's centered around, you know, real human emotion, real human feelings, it can come off as almost belittling and uh, patronizing when someone, you know, gets pregnant from a one night stand or something like that. Cause I understand that happens. It does happen. But Happy there to, uh, are Sarah Connor. Yes. And he <laughs> saved the human race. <laughs> There's nothing in that movie that's interested in acting like real life. So I'm fine with that. <laughs> and you know, it's now 15 years later, a movie that I have, I have to blame for a lot of issues, but knocked up is the same thing. It's like, that's a movie. That's a movie. That's, that's okay. But like these modern movies that try to, this is how humans would really feel in this situation. It's like, yes, people get pregnant on one night stands. Uh, but also there's people that work very hard sometimes for years to conceive. And Paul Giamatti and Catherine Hahn. There you go. And in a movie like this, that really seems to, you know, want us to buy into the, the human nature of it. It just seems so fucking saccharine and I think borderline insulting when that little kid runs up at the end. I was just like, go fuck yourself, you know? <laughs> that's and where you turn on the movie. <laughs> I, again, it was, that's probably the closest that I was just like, fuck this. But like the rest of it, I was just, I'm like bored. Like I said, it's just very, very boring. And, you know, it, I joked about it. I don't remember if it actually made an episode. One of my favorite tweets from the past few months was like, you know, bad movies used to go straight to DVD 
and would sit in discount bins at Dollar Generals and someone would end up buying them and watching them. Now bad movies just go straight to streaming and they live in that hellscape and no one ever watches them. And there was something charming about straight to DVD movies. Not that, not, and you know, those movies that you'd rent at like Redbox and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. then they, this isn't my way of saying they were good. I guess it still felt like a movie. You went and got something. You paid money to ha- hold this thing and take it home and put it in this player that shows movies. So even if it was really bad, you still thought this is a movie. This went through the process of being a movie. Uh, someone, you know, wrote this and made this. And it's not good, but this is what you got. And, you know, this is a this is a movie. I keep saying that, but that's what it is. I watch this and I'm just like, this is just a fucking YouTube video. Like, this is. <laughs> so, wait, wait, wait. Are you telling me that if you had watched IO on a DVD, you know, you're like you went to Walmart and you got it off the dollar bin or whatever, and then you popped it in and then you watched entire exact same movie, but it's on a disc. And then at the end of it, you would be like a little more respectful. As psychotic as it sounds, yes. Like it's, uh, <laughs> and you know, I say that to pop you. I don't think it's weird at all. It's just, there's a massive detachment when it's just this movie that's like streaming. Like it's the same thing as me getting on YouTube and watching a video of a guy like fall down on a skateboard. There's <laughs> okay. Okay. But it is, I mean, it's not psychotic, but it is, that is not how it works. <laughs> I mean, you know that everything that you were listing about the amount of work that went into putting that red box movie together. I mean, it, the same amount of work went into putting IO together. The only difference is that they didn't put it on a disc. They just sent it to Netflix. I, no, I, I understand that. But okay. like I'm saying, but with the way it is now, it's no different than a content creator, like just uploading a video of them, you know, trying on perfume or something. It And, <laughs> and so be, the reason I'm saying this and making these like analogies and whatnot is because that means when I watch this, I'm already disinterested. Streaming's like the, the Dahmer thing. You can be like really good junk food TV uh, and you know, stream. There's plenty of YouTube channels that I watch that like are just feed me just useless content, that type of thing. What the what I'm the point I'm trying to make is when these are just these straight to streaming videos or movies, excuse me. My investment is already lesser than, and my expectations are already way lesser than, and. Because it's so boring that when it was over, I was just like, what was the purpose of that? Like, (laughs) why did I sit through this? And I do think there's validity to the argument that you're making. Not an argument. It's a statement and a correct one that you were saying. It is good that there is a place for filmmakers to trial and error. It's just I'm not so sure that that's going to result in what I would like to see. So myself personally, I just kind of, it just makes me so much more removed from it. Like this dude, what's his face? Jim Halpert, Jonathan Halpert. (laughs) This guy ain't going to be making anything big, like because he fucking bombed on Netflix. It's a movie that's buried. And the only reason I know of it is because we do this podcast and our friend Dan was like, Hey, 
you should watch this movie because he's a psychopath that dives into all these <laughs> Netflix original movies. It's that's the thing. It is good that these filmmakers get to trial and error and, you know, make movies that they probably would have been blacklisted for if, you know, it bombed and cost a, a studio a lot more money. But at the same time, I just don't see where this is going to lead because it's just going to continue to be these movies that we're talking about because I, when I brought up the Irishman, you made the point of like, okay, that's established filmmakers coming mm -hmm. to the platform. So how do we get to using these two established filmmakers? It doesn't seem like that part of the puzzle has been completed yet. And I, I'm not sure that Helpert here, uh, our boy, John, I'm not sure he's the right example, but I guess there has to be examples of this and hopefully one of our listeners can point out to me, but it's just like, I'm waiting to see how these streaming movies are able to create the impact that like springboard someone to the next level, be it actor, actress, director, screenwriter, what have you. It just seems like this kind of epitomizes my thought on these straight to streaming movies of just like, eh, it, it exists. And it's something that you can watch. And when it's over, you might be like, oh, that was cool. Or you'll be like, well, that sucked. But it's not the same thing. What? Nothing. What? I just need you to focus. We mess up and we die. I am focused. Uh, Julio, tell me, who who's made a straight-to-streaming movie that's gone on to, like, be a respected filmmaker amongst their peers. Well, first off, I, I I feel like we need to call it out, even though I guess she she already had a career. But Tamara Jenkins, you know, she Private Life is a Netflix original, and that's that's a movie we both liked. That's true. You Good know, call. Just just referenced. Speaking of, uh, I do need kids. to be clear. <laughs> I do need to be clear. If anyone's listening to this for the first time, I am fully cognizant of how many holes there are in my argument. I'm just like. <laughs> Kind of like working through my thoughts as I say them out loud. That's a lot of what I do. I just kind of think out loud. The Margaret um, Qualley uh, fan base is just losing their shit right now over the fact that you just basically said that if a movie is not on physical media, it's it's basically worthless. <laughs> That's it's gonna be the headline. <laughs> and I say it again. <laughs> I say it. Fuck, what um, was it? There was something recently that I was like mad that I oh, it's the Wet Hot American Summer uh miniseries is 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 on Netflix. You can't buy them on DVD. That shit pisses me off, dude. Like that's a damn shame. Cause I, I know that there's some stuff that they do that did that was at least it used to be available on physical media. It could just be like the contract they have is different, but I'm sorry, Julio. Um and listeners again, I, I know I'm wrong. I that my opinion on this isn't <laughs> isn't going to change anything, but yeah, Tamara well, Jenkins. I think there's there's a lot of of, of stuff to unpack though, because uh, uh, one is that I mean you're not wrong in the sense that I I think it's still even though it feels like we've been streaming forever, I think mm -hmm. that we're still figuring it out. Like as far as the, the you know what it does, the industry and what it you know what it means for filmmaking, and I think that. There's probably examples that I just can't think of right now because there's so much stuff out there. I think that, yes, like like with everything else, the odds are always against somebody actually making it through. I think that most people maybe make like one or two movies that go to streaming and then it just stops. But mm -hmm. 
but that's the whole thing. Every now and then you'll get somebody that breaks through. And, and that was, you know, I made the Corman analogy. And I think that that's the same. I mean, I think that most people that got to work in Corman Productions, at least, you know, the names that we end up hearing about, they're just a handful versus the hundreds or thousands of people that were there and then didn't achieve any major recognition. Uh, that's one thing. The other thing is that there's also, it's just job creation you know because yes yeah. there is like okay are we gonna hear about the about these three writers or this director again i don't know but the people that worked in the movie behind the camera you know all like the crew they probably went on to do other things and maybe they'll, they'll work in this shitty movie and they'll work on a great movie either way you always need a grip you always need like a a, a boom operator and and so on so I think that that's another benefit you know that you can't have them all uh, uh, only waiting on big major studios to call them it's also you know just have all the smaller productions uh, do you think uh do you think they're learning as much though and i don't mean literally in the sense of like cutting film and learning how to put a film together but like because these are so low stakes you don't have producers come in and being like all right we need to cut this this doesn't make any fucking sense um this won't connect with audiences you know that type of thing i'm not saying that everything needs to be meddled with but don't you think that's part of the learning process going through that like making a film for a studio but i think that you also have producers i think learning that way you know like i, I think that yeah. whoever helmed the the io project hopefully <laughs> took some lessons lost their job <laughs> <laughs> But then, and this was the, the I guess the, the bigger point. There is a market for this type of movie. Obviously, you and I are not part of it, and Dan isn't either. But there is, uh, there are some people that just like watching these sort of middling yep. sci-fi movies. That, you know, they, it's not like they build their nights around them. I think that this just this is just shit that they throw in the background that they watch them. I mean, I have I have a couple of friends that just love watching stuff on Tubi, and not just like the the select picks that we you know, go every now and then to where you're like, oh, there's a hidden gem. But no, they're just like all the trash, trash in uh, you know, my perspective. And trash, yeah, I'm yeah. saying trash as in like a, uh, in a playful <laughs> way. <laughs> you know, like the stuff that's really low budget and really, you know, that makes IO look like a super production, you know. But they just like it because it's, it's just, I, I think that it being low stakes uh, makes it a little more of like a comfort food. You're just watching it without really getting engaged. You know, you just, it's just there and it's fun to have it in the background. I think there, we used to work with, uh, I think you were already gone from the theater by then, but uh, there was this guy at the theater. He, he would always come to me with Netflix recommendations and they were always this type of movie. I think that the, the bulk of uh, low budget slash medium budget sci fi that I've watched on Netflix is because <laughs> he would recommend it. And I would watch it and I'll be like, this movie was okay. I didn't need to watch it. My life hasn't changed, but uh, he would be really excited. He'd be like, oh, you need to watch this one now. You need to watch this one now. And I'd be like, all right. Clearly, you're getting a lot more out of them than I do. Uh, I I want mine to be a little shinier, more polished. But him, I mean, I'm sure there's plenty of people like him. And so Netflix looks at those numbers and it's like, okay, well, we are serving an audience. <laughs> it's just not, not the pretentious podcasters. <laughs> We're just... Well, well no, just, and the reason I was referencing like Redbox is like, look at the poster for this, and that you're exactly right. There is an audience for this. It's the type of people that would go to a Redbox or uh, you know your movie theater on a Tuesday afternoon and just watch, like, find the weirdest movie they could watch. That type of thing. So that was like the first thing that came to mind when I saw this poster. Is like that is a fucking square from a Redbox outside of a Seven Eleven. Like that. <laughs> like that is what that looks like. Uh, yeah, there's definitely 
um talk about a movie i don't remember anything about extinction like i was trying to we were talking about that earlier and i was trying to think of something quippy to say i was like i don't remember anything about that michael pena and lizzie kaplan in it. that's all that i remember mike colter luke cage is in it he plays the boss there you go but yeah with this it's like you're exactly right there is an audience for this and i hate i can't even say it's necessarily just flat out bad it's just so unremarkable and boring and there's just nothing to it it's um okay so that that's that's a real problem i think uh because you know we started talking about the performances in and i never because I, I i felt like the performances was my biggest disagreement with dan i'm just like i think they're fine <laughs> i think they're bad uh i do agree that it's not a good movie though <laughs> because it's just so slow and so little happens that's my problem with it uh, that it takes so long to uh it takes so long to get going to begin with. You know, like you could say that the story doesn't really start until Anthony Mackie shows up. And that's almost half an hour into the movie. Yeah. And and then there is, even though the planet is dying, it doesn't feel like there's a real sense of urgency until <laughs> they have to go get the helium, which is the last 20 minutes of the movie. This afternoon, I'll be leaving our enclave to travel to the Exodus launch site. Anyone's receiving this broadcast, I implore you to do the same. Yeah, you're I mean, nail on the head with all this. It's just kind of oh well, we might miss the last Uber <laughs> off this planet, <laughs> but you know. At least we uh, have sex. All right. Uh to steal your go-to. Imagine if the roles were reversed in that scene. I don't think this movie would have been so unremarkable in that case, in the sense of, I think there would be some people that had an issue with the way that played out. Wait, wait, wait. Uh, if it was an older woman, like a, like a 20 year old boy and a 30 year old woman. knew no, If it was a man forcing himself on a woman and she said no. And he said, we have to. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. I see what you mean. Okay. 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 I didn't even think about that. Um, you didn't? Yeah. That's your go-to. <laughs> I, I know, I know, but I was no. I'll tell you why because I was distracted thinking. Uh, so from the moment that they started hinting at the, actually, even before that, my thought was that Anthony Mackie should have been older when when he first showed up and he started talking about what it was like pre-apocalypse. I was thinking he's too young to to be talking about. You know, like I was having trouble making sense of the timeline, you know, like how old is she supposed to be? And if she has never seen what it was like before the apocalypse, then he has to be much older, you know, unless he's remembering things from when he was a little, little kid. So in my mind, I'm like, he should be older. And then I was thinking once they hit the romance part of it, I'm like, they should both be older. You know, she should be like a 30-year-old woman and he should be a 50-year-old man or 60. And then I'll be really invested in this romance because it's not something I see very often and it would make sense. It would really feel... It wouldn't be like, oh, it's just two attractive people hooking up. It would be like, oh, there's some real desperation <laughs> here, right? This old man that has given up on, on love and sexuality and this younger woman who's like, well... This guy could be my dad, but it, this is post-apocalypse, you know? That would be something that, there would be something to that relationship. So I was distracted by all that. It never even crossed my mind. of like, okay, what happens if we, like, gender flip them? <laughs> uh, but you're right. 
we have to, we must for the for the sake of the world. Did that thought occur to you right away, like as soon as it happened? Or yeah, yeah, I was like, I was just kind of like, uh, if this was flopped, then I think people would have a bigger issue with it. And look, I've defended questionable storytelling choices, so I'm not trying to say what the intent of the writer or the director was, anything like that. I'm just saying I know how people would have reacted if it was shoe other foot type thing. And that's something we bring up pretty constantly on here when it comes to romantic uh, interactions. So felt the need to, to bring it up, but it's not enough to really be offensive. It's just it's like everything else in the movie. It's just so unremarkable that it's just kind of like, well, there it is. The coolest thing is they, she fucking lives in an observatory. That'd be awesome. Or a planetarium or whatever it is. <laughs> Get to look at the plants every night. Took astronomy in college and I got to look at Mars one night. It was awesome. So getting to do that every night would be very cool. Uh, I laughed very hard uh, towards the end when they go to get the helium and the score like kicks in like fucking interstellar style like and it's just this shot of them very slowly and tepidly riding four wheelers like there's nothing intimidating or like action packed about it i i thought that was fucking hilarious but interstellar prometheus uh any like there was fucking um not the village. What's the other one? There was like elements of the happening and shit in this that I was just kind of like after earth after earth. It's my review. My little quip on letterbox was I too have seen a lot of movies. It just really, <laughs> se- <laughs> it just really seemed like, uh, you know, when you're a kid and like you play a video, like excite bike when I was a little kid, you can make your, <laughs> you can make your own course in it. And then, so you just like throw, everything that you're used to from the levels you've played, but you just do it like 50 of them or, you know, like when you in fighting games or wrestling games, when you're younger and you can create your own wrestler, it's just, right. It's going to look, it's going to look kind of like what I've seen before, but uh, a bit more colorful and, uh, but I don't really know what I'm doing. So it's not going to match and it's going to, you know, be kind of clunky and, it's it would be more if it was like a, what I define as like a real movie if it got like a theatrical release or even those straight to DVD movies man they, they, their goal was to make money with these it really doesn't feel like it is it just feels like we need content so fucking shit in a bag and hand it to us <laughs> I think it's it's a little more effort than that Alex I know it is I know it is I know that work went into this and that bless her heart margaret qualley really is going for it at some points in this it just none of it really works and that leads me when it's over to just be like eh at least if like there was studio meddling something would have happened where like an alien showed up or something <laughs> no but you know there's also plenty of indie movies that are that have this this sort of pacing uh you know, it just sometimes it just takes like just a one tweak. I don't even know if it's studio meddling. It, I mean, it could just be that. I don't know. Yeah, you're right. I mean, I don't know who who gives this the green light and says, "Yeah, that's a, this is gonna be a good one." That's obviously, and I feel like I'm making this an example when I don't mean to because this is. I don't think this would have been a movie of consequence, no matter like who was behind it or meddling with it. But it, it does make me curious about the process of Netflix filmmaking because it really does seem like for better and worse. That they're just kind of like, okay, 
You can make a movie for Netflix, do whatever you want. It's the Tony Khan approach with AEW. I will pay you $1 million and you can do whatever you want. Now, the key is you have to be successful with that and be Rob Zombie where (laughs) studios will still give you, you know, $50 million and just say, all right, you can make whatever you want and hang out with your friends for a few months. Have fun with it. That's like the uh, complete like defeatist to my argument immediately. It's just when I say all this shit, it's like, well, what about Rob Zombie? I'm like, well, that guy lives the dream. <laughs> and But yeah, his last one was a straight to Netflix movie. So there you go. Anyway, Dan, I can see not liking this. And, you know, just from the live streams we've done with them and, you know, talking to Dan sometimes in between recordings or, you know, DMs and whatnot, I I kind of wish this was one we did for live stream just because how animated he would get about it. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure he has plenty of Netflix originals that get him all worked up. Yeah, that's that's fair. And it just didn't really... The bees thing. It, you know, when we watch movies like this, something I like to say and, you know, a positive I like to say a lot of times is like somewhere in here, there's a good movie. And with this, I, I'm not even sure I could say that. It feels like a couple of like 19 year olds wrote a movie with absolutely no filter and they just said, <laughs> make it. And I don't mean that to sound like an asshole. It just really is like, there's some cool ideas and some when you're writing it, the, some turns and twists that you think will hit big, but it's just it doesn't have the parts there to be like cohesive and cognitive. It, it um, not good. What's what I was saying? I and I agree with you. There's not enough here. It's there's not a good movie in here. I think that there's a good TV episode. I think a solid like thirty to forty minute narrative that just a pilot. Not even a pilot, like just just a standalone. You know, it's just like an episode of Twilight Zone. Uh, just oh yeah, yeah, you did say that. Yeah, yeah, something like you know makes it a lot punchier. Uh, because I like the I like the twist. I, I there's they deliver it pretty badly. Like there's really no but no connection to anything. But I like that. Oh, you know, they set it up with the bee, and then. She decides, fuck it, maybe I am a mutant too. And then she takes her helmet off and she's alive. And I think that maybe that hits harder if you don't model it with the romance and if it's shorter. And I don't know, man. It, there's something there. I mean, I'll give it that much credit, but I don't think this needed to be a movie. That's, that's the, <laughs> the bottom line. We thought we could find a way for humans to survive on Earth. We were wrong. This is Sam Walton. Over and out. I don't know if I have anything more to add. Seems like we've been on a, a streak recently of big discussions coming from episodes, and this is just kind of like uh, my notes weren't even half of a page. I was just <laughs> I was watching this, and I'm like, "Is anything going to actually happen in this?" And nope, doesn't. <laughs> um, well, what is your your score? Did you say one star? Yeah. It's not enough to give it an F. It's it's like a D minus. It's and again, I don't think it's irony. The 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 comedy in it is that I guarantee in the next year we're going to do a movie that I d- actively <laughs> dislike, but I will remember much more than I O. So D minus. 
Did you one star? Or you're not going half star on this, are you? No, 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 no. It, it never made me mad. It just kind of bored me. Danny Houston with a fedora. I mean, that made me smile. <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> um, I'm going uh, one and a half. I had it on uh, in the living room and my sister walked in during that fedora scene and he says something like, I've been walking and walking and walking. And then she's like, till your feet bleed. And he's like, what? <laughs> and she's like, eh, eh, Wolverine. <laughs> she had to remind me that's what whoever the woman in that says to him at the end, walk till your feet bleed. <laughs> One stars across the board, D minus in the letter grade from me. We jest, Dan, but we do appreciate you continuing to be a, a patron and support. And uh, like I said, at this point, you've got a shtick. You've got a theme. So keep these Netflix originals coming, and we will <laughs> dissect them appropriately. Julio, what is going to follow IO? Well, we're going to stick with sci-fi, Alex, but it, this is going to be a little more uh, high budget. We're going to open December with uh, a Star Trek movie. We haven't done a Star Trek movie in a while. We did uh, The Final Frontier. Years ago, when we found out that Captain Kirk needed his pain. I need my pain. Yep. But that was that was OG Kirk. Now we're going to meet. We're going to introduce new generation Kirk to the contrarians. There's going to be Chris Pine as Captain Kirk in the 2009 Star Trek. A movie that's so big, so epic, that we're going to bring some help to help us tackle it. John Amenta from The Pint is going to join us as the guest on the Star Trek episode. I am very excited for this. I remember very much enjoying it, and so I am excited to revisit it. Yeah, it's uh, it, it'll be a lot of fun to uh, to dissect. And uh, I don't know if John likes it or not, but he's the one that suggested it, and uh, we jumped on it. So, so that's in the future. That's like the that was the introduction to movie going audiences of fucking Chris Hemsworth. So yes, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> so everyone made out all right in the end. And also, you know what? Not to get too far ahead, but that's Winona Ryder returns to the Contrarians. I don't remember that at all. I'm fired up now. All right. <laughs> She's in there for five seconds. Still, let's do it. I watched Black Swan during Horror Movie Month. She's in that movie for a total of you know maybe three minutes. So it's it's still a Winona Ryder movie to me. God damn it. More memorable than I O. <laughs> sad but true dot mp3 that's that's <laughs> on the money all right julio uh we got anything else are we ready to get out of here let's get out of here all right let's move on into perennial plugs start off by giving thanks to the festive years who provide our opening and closing tracks they kick us off with last stand take us home with summer of 99 be sure to head over to the festiveyears.com for any and all festive years needs and for the time being I'll have to touch base with Joe to see if this is going to change with the, the whole Twitter controversy. But uh, for now, head over to Twitter and check out at Late Night Grin. Uh, our boys over at the Late Night Grin wrestling podcast discussion, movie podcast discussion. They do watch-alongs, as they call them, uh, grin-alongs. Good dudes on there. They occasionally have yours truly on to discuss wrestling, and I make sure to shoehorn in film references when I can. They help support us, so we help support them at Late Night Grin on Twitter. Through there, you'll find uh, links to their Twitch page, their their patron, uh, their YouTube account, everything you'll need. So, boys, keep up the good work. 
Our friend and fellow podcaster Hans Rothwieser is the man behind our logo. All the graphics on our webpage, our Patreon page, our merch page, uh, the little tomato looking itself in the mirror, that's Hans' handiwork. Uh, you can check out his work at his website, mildemonios.pe. That's M-I-L-D-E-M-O-N-I-O-S dot P-E. You can check out his podcast, Nación Combi, which is about Peruvian current affairs, and Marginal, which is about economy. Uh, you can check out his multiple fantasy novels and zombie novels uh, he's written. Uh, and you can reach him on Twitter at Mildemonios or email him, mildemonios at hotmail.com. Alex, I was truly... I wouldn't say disappointed, but a little shocked, I guess, uh, to find out that Hans is a big Drop Dead Fred fan. Uh, he listened to the episode, <laughs> and he oh, felt the man. need to let us know that uh, we're in the wrong, or he's in the right. <laughs> Was he still mad that I liked the the Vincent Price fly? I think that everything has been forgotten. Now his primary focus is the fact that we, we just didn't get Drop Dead Fred. <laughs> Oh, that's it. That's yeah, right. Yeah, that's a, it. We, yeah. We just completely missed the point. But anyway, Hans, thank you for all your support. And thank you to the support and effort of Zoe Perez. Zoe, our social media guru. She puts in the work uh, for our social media game, be it facebook.com slash contrarian prime, youtube.com slash at contrarian prime, at contrarian prime on Instagram. We got our Twitter account as well, at contrarian prime. You get the, the gist of this. You get the the pattern but zoe uh for our social media accounts graphics audio clips video clips uh very helpful and instrumental in helping this machine work if you haven't already be sure to subscribe to our youtube account help boost those numbers and algorithm same thing with instagram uh facebook we understand that's kind of you know where your grandpa goes to talk about politics but still hop on there (laughs) give us a follow Uh, it's greatly appreciated uh, much like the work Zoe does for us, it's greatly appreciated. And much like it's greatly appreciated that you, our listening public, our wonderful audience, have tuned in. Uh, but that's going to do it for yet another episode of We Here on the Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong, and we will catch you next time. I just can't quite get by.